You're listening to Keeping It 100 with Jose Kinelari here on 103.5 FM, WNHH, NewHavenIndependent.org, powered by La Voz Hispana Radio. Thank everybody for tuning in today. Today we got a very, very special interview. While on the island of Maui, I got the pleasure and honor to meet Mr. Aleku Alexander, who is a native Hawaiian, half Hawaiian, half Chinese, born and raised on Oahu, living in Maui and retired. He lives be- between Jeff Bezos and Oprah Winfrey. To me, that's astonishing. How does he do that? Well, it's through the government-funded program. It's on, he's on a homestead that's dedicated for people who are 50% or more Hawaiian. That's the way he does it. So I sat down with him, interviewed him. The first couple of minutes, he's going to be speaking strictly Hawaiian to his people because that's how he does. And then after that, we get into that conversation of gentrification and how that worked on the island of Maui because in Puerto Rico, it's coming next. That's how we're going to be living. Prices there are ridiculous in Maui. $9 a gallon of milk, $7 for a gallon of gas. How can they live? I don't know. That's why these homesteads are very important. That's why affordable housing is important in these neighborhoods that we live in. Affordable homes, affordable mortgages, jobs so that you can afford these homes. That is affects us here in New Haven also. So without further ado, here's Mr. Aleku, a conversation from Maui. All right, sir, can you just tell me your full name? Oh, I you in our Olewa Hawaii. Aloha mai kako, uwa walika kamaka ala na mea apau yausam chenga kana, uwa uwa kanaka maoli o ki iwahi pana o keo kia kula maui. E umi uhana wao e kana umikuma umikuma eva kana lima kuma 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 kolo yeah uh, 1953 I was born e e nowadays wao e kana hiku no kana kana ono kuma eva Makahiki O'u, yeah? So, 69 years old. 69 years old, very good. Yeah, 69 years old. Um, just tell me a little bit about your childhood and how, 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 you know, how was it growing up? Did you grow up here on the island, on this island specifically? Uh, I was born on the island of Oahu, and uh, I lived there for about 60, 65 years. And then I moved up here to Maui. So the island of Oahu uh, in those days was not as um, busy as, as it is now. Mm-hmm. So now we have much more uh, people, much more uh, uh, traffic and things like that nature. Um, Hawaii back then was good days. You could go to the beach and any time of the day you could go fishing, diving, and there was fish in the sea. and. Uh, the beaches were open, you know, you had a lot of uh, families just camping out, um, no crime at all. People would just um, 
plenty of aloha. That's that's what it was. And then school, the school, everybody in school was, um, you know, a lot of aloha, no no bullying and things of that nature, and without any kind of um, what they'd call uh, social. Uh, interaction that they have now on, online and everything much different than it is today. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed my childhood. I had uh, three uh, three siblings of uh, two brothers and a sister. Mm-hmm. And then my dad, he worked at uh, Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard. Okay. Yeah, he was he was there at the Pearl Harbor attack, <laughs> working working that day when the thing when the attack mm-hmm. came. So he told us stories about that. And my mom, she grew up on the Big Island of Hawaii. She's native Hawaiian, and she could olelo, speak Hawaiian. She grew up in the uh, culture of Hawaii, but she also uh, grew up on a ranch. So she was a uh, paniolo, or a cowboy, yeah? Mm-hmm. But she was brought up like her her grandfather wanted her to treat her like a boy, yeah? So she was very tough. But. Uh, yeah, they they tell us many stories. My dad, he was pure Chinese, yeah. So he grew up in. Uh, his father came over from China, and uh, so he grew up here in Hawaii. And uh, he could speak Chinese. He he spoke uh, Cantonese. So my mother spoke Cantonese. Uh, my father spoke Cantonese. My mom spoke Hawaiian, but they never spoke to us because it wasn't um, allowed there. Yeah? Uh, they they wanted us to learn English. And my mom, uh, when she was going to school, she was like beaten for speaking Hawaiian because that's all she could understand. So the, the, that thing was in her all the time. You have to learn English. We're not going to speak Hawaiian. She always speak to her, her sisters or her father like mm-hmm. that. And same thing with my dad. They spoke Chinese, but never to us. And they said, you have to learn the, the Western ways. got to speak English. Uh, so we never learned our languages. So right now we are in a Renaissance area where we try to learn from um, schools, and uh, people have brought it back like that. But actually, now, uh, before you continue, do you, you mentioned briefly that um, that there's a there were more fish in the sea. Yes. Are the, what are the, what kind of changes did you see in just in, in the fish industry, or just fishes? You know. Okay. What happened is. Um, a lot of things, environmental um, dis- uh, changes, disasters, actually. We got a lot of runoff from uh, development, golf courses, all this kind of stuff. Progress. My parents always talked about progress, yeah. So they saw progress as people building more things. My dad was saying, you got to move with the Western world, so we cannot be held back. So a lot of uh, subdivisions were built. They knocked down a lot of um, areas that... The watershed would go into these areas, but they covered it up, so a lot of dirt went into the ocean. So the dirt kills off the reefs, and the reefs and all the chemicals from um, golf courses all went into the water, yeah? So a lot of fish died, and the coral dying, and there's more people wanted to uh, dive, yeah? So the beginning part of our, um, when we were younger, you gotta jump in the water, and you swim out, and you swim out to the reefs, and it's a hard thing. But as more people came in, affluent people had boats, so they would just come out in boats, and they would dive and and fish, and a lot of times things would just get wiped out. Yeah, overfishing. Um, 
In the older days, they used to have rules where you, uh, it was unwritten rules back from the cultural days where uh, certain times of the year you didn't fish for this food. You, uh, you know, you didn't take lobster. This kind of fish, you let them come out. But afterwards, people got greedy and, you know, newcomers coming to the islands, they didn't want to follow rules. So they were just, when they take fish, they take little ones, they take anything. So that's what happened for the, this is um, what I call near, near reef fishing and then people with um, pole fishing. Myself, I used to go and swim out and fish like that when we were younger. But uh, that's what happened, you know, overfishing, not following rules. Certain areas now, they have uh, banned fishing certain times of the year. So even those things, they have, they have to have game wardens watch them because people go, go in there at night and try and do that tell stuff. But it comes back. <clears throat> COVID really helped. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. COVID stopped everybody from coming in, stopped fishing everything, and the, the ocean came back. The limu, which is the seaweed that we eat, came back. All the fishes started coming back. The water cleared up. And... Uh, it was good, but now, you know, things are going back to the way it was. <laughs> yeah. So. Is, that, is that why there's so many limitations now on camping sites and, and people at beaches and park, you know, passes? Yeah, uh, we used to have um, camping rules, but uh, not as much people, you know, would, you know, would really camp. And then some people would camp, locals, and they would stay the whole summer. And nobody minded that. But now with more people coming in and more now more local though, in the island, the population. So they had to be stricter with all these uh, permits. Mm -hmm. And then certain sites, and then right after uh, COVID got released, more people came and it was like an influx was more and more and more so. And everybody seemed to be, um, they so wanted to get out, all the people coming in, they were just going crazy, huh? doing all this kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Over, over doing things where you would go into private land. Um, people are putting things on the internet. Oh, go over here is a secret spot, but it wouldn't be secret anymore. You know, hundreds of people would go beyond the trails that we used to go, and nobody was there. Um, places that we used to walk up into uh, the streams and waterfalls and go swimming and. Hardly anybody is there now. You cannot do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I've noticed. Uh, I've noticed that that here in the mountains, there's no trails, and, and just really, in the highest peaks, there's really nowhere to really walk. Walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it because it's sacred to, to the people of Hawaii, or it was just never developed? Uh, certain islands never developed because to get through there, you had to go to big ranches or plantations. People owned right around the top of the mountain, yeah. And usually that's um, either state land, but a lot of the other places is um, private owned, yeah. So you couldn't get through it. Certain places where you have national parks, they made they made trails. Uh, island of Hawaii, big island, they have a lot of more trails. Maui. Um, Again, most is private land. You got to get through, so they don't want to do that. <laughs> mm, okay, yeah, they okay. don't want to do that. So you said there was a renaissance, a renaissance for language and dance and stuff. Can you, can you explain a little bit about when it was like? Uh, do you remember when it was outlawed, or but when you were younger, or? Well, the when the kingdom of Hawaii got overthrown, 
Before that, Hawaii was one of the most uh, literate areas. Everyone could speak Aolera uh, Hawaii, which is a language, and that was the main language of the, the kingdom. And then uh, everyone could speak that. My um, <clears throat> didn't have to be Hawaiian. We had Japanese people, uh, Chinese people, they all spoke Hawaiian. And um, the Caucasian people, they all spoke Hawaiian. And once the kingdom got overthrown, first got overthrown in 1893 for a little while. And then uh, when, the, at that time, the uh, president was Cleveland, and he wanted to give the land back to Hawaii. So he ordered the guys to give it back. So the, uh, the provisional government, which was run by the plantation owners and ranchers, they were American businessmen. They didn't want to give it back. So they made their own republic. And they dared the U.S. to come and arrest them. So there was a political thing where they said they don't want U.S. soldiers arresting American businessmen and maybe bloodshed and all that. So for a while, Hawaii was a pub republic. And those guys didn't want anything Native Hawaiian. So they banned, that was 1893 and on, they banned in the schools, they banned Hawaiian uh, dancing, everything, culture, everything. So from that time on, all Hawaii, Hawaiian culture was suppressed. Then uh, after maybe 1945, at the big war, all the people was coming in, so we got a lot of uh, military over here, everything was, so a lot of people started to think about, you know, there's more to life than just um, the plantations and everything. They were getting educated outside, and some of the Hawaiians said, you know, they should bring back our language because everything that we had here in Hawaii was lost. And if we keep going like this, it, things will be lost. People are dying off that new language, new the culture, new the, the rules. So then around 1960s, late 60s, with all the movement about Vietnam and people trying to get back things, Hawaiian culture rose, yeah. So that was a time the Renaissance happened. People started protesting, trying to get back land, trying to take back bombing sites. And the hula came back strong, music. So that was when <clears throat> I was in high school. And we started, the people at that time at the universities, they started bringing back all the language. So that, that's the time. Wow. So, um, you, you talk a little bit about the uh, about taking back the land and the and the and how and that here in Maui specifically, um, in, in your experience with it, can you share with the people how that worked here in Maui and how there was no land for for the native Native Hawaiians basically? Well, a lot of the land that was <clears throat> very um, valuable to the plantation owners, to hotels, sugar plantations, ranches was all kind of taken away. They used uh, the legal system, they bought it, uh, behind the door kind of things happened. So at that time, um, a lot of the, the more uh, uh, valuable spots were taken away. So at places like Kaanapali, uh, Kapalua, all that area, beautiful beaches, beautiful land, those were the prime places taken away first. The hotels would go in there and, and they would, um, 
just dig up sacred sites. Uh, we had a lot of burial sites. Hawaiians used to bury the people in the sand because it was easier. Uh, so the big hotels was going in there and just bulldozing all this area. And so uh, a lot of the um, Native Hawaiian organizations, they got together and people that um, went into the University of Hawaii, Hawaiian, uh, Native Hawaiians, they, they, had, they got lawyers or they became lawyers and they fought for land. And a lot of these uh, rules and the states have is on the books that you can't do this, but you guys were going around it and nobody was saying anything. So they just went up and you had to protest first to bring all this attention to it. And then they went into the courts. So a lot of places, the hotels had to back off and you know stop from what they were doing because the whole coast would be, uh, whatever it is now would be worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, here up here, you, you said that this is the only place you could find Hawaiians in Maui is here in this part of Hawaii in the homestead. Uh, yeah, a lot of Hawaiians. Uh, there's a couple of homestead areas down by, um, by the ocean. That's uh, Kahului. They call it Paukukalo, and it's on the backside of uh, Mount Kahalawai, yeah? Mount Kahalawai, which everybody call uh, West Maui Mountains. So on that area along the beach is a Hawaiian home area too. And up here... Uh, we have uh, Keokea, the, uh, the farm lots, and then Waihuli, which is a residential lot. Yeah. So this land is way too expensive for normal people to buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Across this road up here, Oprah has a uh, ranch. She bought a ranch up here, right o right over the highway. So, and then down below we have like Bezos, Jeff Bezos, and he's another billionaire. So he buys up so, increases of land. So. so how can you so tell me how does the how did the Homestead Act come up, come about? Okay, uh, Homestead Act in 1933, uh, Prince Kuhio, um, he was one of our prince that were supposed to be in line for the throne of Hawaii. Um, he got elected to Congress, and using his education, he uh, put an act. Before, through the Congress, which the Congress voted for and let it go through, that the royal lands and lands that were overtaken when the, the government was overthrown would be set aside for the Hawaiian people. So the Hawaiian people could farm, um, raise their children, and have businesses and land. Because a lot of times they couldn't get loans from the bank. You know, you go to the bank, the bank is all owned by the American businessmen or descendants of that, and they would have preferential treatment. And um, the church, the church came in with uh, the, the, the first um, explorers, and the Hawaiians loved Christianity so much, they eventually the, they gave land to the church. So the church, the first uh, missionaries that came, they loved God. They did all the things. Their descendants took the lands. The descendants changed the idea and instead of going for uh, religious, they started using it for their own uh, profit, yeah. So we lost a lot of land that way, so. But um, yeah, we got the Hawaiian homelands and even that is tough because you, you need money to uh, build homes on the land because you have to follow these rules about uh, zoning and all this kind of stuff. 
So the Department of Hawaiian Homelands, which is in charge of these lands given out, has a lot of uh, problems with trying to put the Hawaiians on the land, not enough money. And many of the Hawaiians have died on the list, waiting, 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 waiting. So it's the past few years, um, they got more land, and uh, not more land, they got more money. Over time, lands were taken, like the airport. The whole, the whole Honolulu airport is Hawaiian homelands. You're supposed to get money from that. You're supposed to pay it to the Hawaiian Department of Hawaiian Homelands, which is the agency overlooking the land. But they've been pushing that under the rug for a long time. When the, when the time the, the uh, airport was built in the I think in the 20s or something. Only recently they started saying, we need, you know, you're supposed to give us 10% or something like that, and they, they've they been fighting it. So the harbors, that's all Hawaiian homelands. So we've been trying to fight back, and the court system, you know, is tough. It's real tough, yeah, so. But right now things are going, beginning better, especially with more people being aware of it. And before, you know, you had to read a newspaper or, things to get hidden, but nowadays with the internet and more um, news things, you know, the, the more um, the sunshine law where get, things get looked at, it's, you know, more people can know that what, what's going on, you know, illegal things. Mm -hmm. Thank you, because I was, I was telling you yesterday that I drove around the island and I, it was, I couldn't find any Hawaiians. Yeah, because you'd see that Hawaiians are a minority on this island and Hawaiians are, a lot of times, um, they're working in um, some jobs that uh, you won't you will see them, you know, maybe construction or whatever. And um, a lot of people here moved in from the mainland, yeah, so um, we got, and the land is so expensive, some people over here moved away yeah, to find jobs and things like that, so. You're not going to see too much on this, especially Maui. Maui is, you go to upcountry Maui because of the expense of the land. A lot of people over here is not Hawaiian, of Hawaiian blood. Mm -hmm. You go down on the coast, so maybe um, way in the, some of the valleys that you may see some Hawaiians. But only in Hawaiian, uh, you got to go to Hawaiian um, events, then you go and see them. Mm -hmm. They all come out, you know, we have a, uh, hula festivals, music festivals, um, some things like that. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> you have to see very much of us around. And then we're mixed blood too, yeah. So some of the Hawaiians, you might be, you know, might look like Hawaiians, but they are like, a lot of Oriental, Chinese, and white blood, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. uh, so now you're here, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the, uh, the activity, where was it with the military activity that was here and, and what, what happened with them? Okay, you um, story a little? ever since uh, World War II, yeah, the, the U.S., when they was expanding in the 1890s, that's why they took Hawaii, because they wanted Pearl Harbor. They wanted Pearl Harbor so bad, so when Cleveland, he couldn't give the islands back, so President McKinley, he came in and he's, he wanted the U.S. to be powerful in the Pacific and be as good as England or Germany or all those guys. So they took Pearl Harbor. 
So from that time on, Hawaii has been uh, a main base you know, for the U.S. military. And then uh, World War II happened, so they needed places to uh, practice bombing and shooting and all that. So national security, they had they took all of it, the island, the little island up there. And even on Oahu, where I came from, I didn't know this, but a lot of valleys over there in the windward side, they used it as bombing practice. So a lot of Native Hawaiian lands, they just took the families, moved them off the land. And they said they were going to clean up the land and give them back when the war is over. That never happened. Then Vietnam came, or Korea, then Vietnam. So they kept, they keep, keep keeping the lands and the islands over here. After the war finished, they kept the islands still, yeah, they kept saying that they were going to clean it up. But so many years of bombing, they bombed the place. And, uh, you know, the bombs are underground, unexploded ordinance. There's millions of dollars. They say, oh, they can't do it. It, it costs too much to do it. So um, after a while, the, so much um, public outrage and then after, was going on about Kaolave, so the island of offshore right here, and they said that um, that's not worth the, the, you know, the bad publicity, plus the war is over, the Vietnam War was over, and then they, they was cutting back on the military, so they said, well, we'll give back the island. So that's how they got an island over here. Uh, this island, at times, the, uh, we're told the military, when they were bombing the islands for Vietnam, the military jets would come in so fast, drop their bomb. The bomb would bounce off the island. And one of our mayors was living down by Kihei, and a bomb went right into his uh, yard. And sometimes when the ships were shelling the island, Every once in a while, they put too much um, powder in their guns that they would overshoot the island and hit into these areas over here. So more outrage was coming up, you know, bombing, hitting the island, hitting our side. So um, after a while, we had people that would go over to the island. They would take the surfboards at night and paddle over to the island and say, we're on the island now. You want to kill us, you know, you can kill us, but... They send back pictures and stuff, walking around, showing all the devastation, and saying, this is our land. You guys don't really need it now, and then you're still bombing it. And the only way we can bring attention to this is to occupy the land. So then they would stop bombing it. Yeah, we had um, different kind of things about um, sailing across the, uh, the Polynesians, would come to Hawaii yeah, in the ancient days. And th that island was um, set up as a navigation school. So that was a middle island, they call it the Pico, or the naval of this, uh, of this island chain. So they would train navigators. So from there, you could go reading the stars, you could go all the way to Tahiti and back. And they used to do that all the time. So they set up all these um, sh shrines and wayfair, and the Navy, they came here. <laughs> and they shot it down with their cannons off the shore. They blew up a lot of stuff because they just saw it as they didn't know what it was, I guess. So, so when we went to the island, we saw all that. Can you tell really me a little sad. bit about what, what they did to the watershed? Oh, okay. Um, they had this operation, uh, sailor, sailor Hat, they call it. They wanted to see the effect of a, a similar to a nuclear bomb going off and they put ships in the water, just like they did in uh, 
down in Micronesia. So they couldn't use an atomic bomb, so they, they brought in TNT, they stacked up a huge pile of TNT, equivalent, they were saying, to like 500 tons or something of TNT, and they parked ships around around the thing. Uh, the ships were like mothball. They keep some mothball fleets in Pearl Harbor. So, um, and they set it off and then they had all these cameras. And the uh, explosion just devastated, left a huge hole in the island. And it broke the water table. Hawaiian Islands, they percolate, all the rain percolates through the lava, goes down and forms a um, water reservoir that sits above the ocean, um, ocean water that goes underneath the uh, island. So each island had one of those. So when Kaholabe, when they blew that one, they made a hole. It was so deep, it broke the water table. So the fresh water, instead of being encapsulated, it broke out and the water just leaks out into the sea now. So, so Kaolabe lost their, their water reservoir, so they don't have that anymore. And that, that you can't fix, yeah? To this day, there's a big hole in the island, and that's something the military did. Hmm. Yeah, so that island, people, I've been on that island, we go, and a lot of volunteers go and try and replant uh, trees and stuff on the island, but when you look at it, some places it looks like Mars, you know, just nothing. Nothing. And it's just hard. They call it the hard pan. So we try and grow things over there, but yet they rely on rainwater coming down to catch it in big uh, uh, reservoirs and things. But that's in the rain shadow of this this island, so they don't, they don't get any rain most of the time. Mm. So that's what happened on that island for that one. So that that the Hawaiians really felt bad about that. I mean, really <laughs> angry. <laughs> Can you, can you talk a little bit about the distrust there is now with, with between like the you know the you know say the mainlanders and Caucasians and and Hawaiians and why there's so much discord between the two? Well, the everyday people that come down here and visit, most of them, I would say like ninety percent of them, all um, nice people and they respect they respect our, our culture. And they come, they look, and they see, and they, you know, they love Hawaii, and they can feel the spirituality of this place, and they leave. But the people that come and buy the land, so they come and buy, they speculate, they want to uh, develop, they want to make money off of us. Um, those are the people that leave a bad taste in the mouth of the Hawaiians. So sometimes, if the people over here, the native or local people, they look at everybody as being the same. You know? They say, oh, you know, this, those guys, we don't like them. And if if those people, a lot of those uh, local people never left the islands. So if you leave the island and you see the rest of the world, there's a lot of people of all races that's, that's good, that have the same values. It's the people that are, you know, trying to chase the dollar, trying to build something, trying to make money. Those are the guys that, that leaves a bad taste in them all. So um, that's why at times you see people angry, angry with the visitors. And sometimes you need to uh, educate the visitors. And a lot of them, I believe now, are more educated because of the internet. They're much better. In the 60s, 
they were coming down and they didn't know anything. And you know, at that time there was the, the ugly American syndrome, yeah. Everything America is right, everybody else is wrong. You know, our way is the best way. You people are ignorant, you don't know, you're not educated and <laughs> you're not modern, so but nowadays people realize that that's not it, right? America is not the be-all of everybody. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that was a, that's why we had discord among people. But yeah, it gets some angry young people. You know, those guys, that's the guys you gotta watch out for. Angry youth that not educated in that. You gotta look at all the people as being um, they're good people, you know. Just some some guys are not, but everybody's good, and you give them the the, the doubt, yeah, the benefit. Um, I, but I've noticed here that uh, the Caucasians have a little less aloha than uh, the mainlanders as well. I mean, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, because uh, uh, my experience here on the island has been, I face uh, more discrimination, I, I guess, here than I do on the mainland. That was pretty shocking. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, you run into people, especially the ones that transplanted. Some some people are here, are pretty recent. You know, the ones that came and stayed for a while, they kind of know the land, uh, the culture. But some of the newer transplants, you know, they they have all this thing that um, this is my place. You can't come here. Um, put up signs and. You know, you're walking around, they look at you like, you know, you're a criminal or something like that. And, you know, some people, they want to take over the beaches, close off the beach right away. We have people, they say, oh, this is our beach. And it never was their beach, you know. That's so why there's distrust among um, a lot of the people about new people coming in and putting up, you know, estates. And they say they're going to let people come through. Or they're gonna keep the old trails, let the people get to the beach to go fishing, whatever, and then they, they close it off. They say, no, no. And that's what happening with our, um, we get that TMT, they're gonna build a big, gigantic telescope on uh, Mauna Kea on a big island. And the thing is huge, it's supposed to be like equivalent to like a 30 story building. And all, they have so many um, telescopes already on the, and some of these telescopes are not being used. And they just, they just um, abandoned, and nobody takes care of it. And then they said that they're gonna um, be good stewards of the land and stuff. But in the past, when they built t telescopes, what the construction workers would do, construction sites, it's so far away, they, they don't wanna, um, spend the money to take all the rubbish and all the hazardous material off the, just dig a hole and cover it. So we get a lot of uh, hazardous waste from previous things. So now these guys come in and say, no, we're not gonna do that. But once the thing gets rolling, nobody gonna, you know, say, oh, you gotta stop, because there's billions of dollars that to build that. So that's why all this distrust come in. They say, once, once these guys get their project going, they're gonna, you know, not do to follow the rules. And then the politicians are going to say, well, we're getting money. They're giving money back to the state. So we can't stop this project. So, you know, things like that. So mm -hmm. a lot of times that's, that's a lot of distrust coming on. It gets a lot of angry 
angry Hawaiians, and that they had uh, had some protests, stopping the, just putting people across the road mm -hmm. and holding hands and everything so that construction can go on. And that pitted Hawaiians against Hawaiians because, you know, the, the local police force and just all Hawaiians, you know, so the thing that helped was uh, our kupuna, our grandparents, our, they would sit down on the line. So the, they kind of get rough with the kupuna, yeah, because that's your auntie, your grandmother, your grandfather. So that would help. But a lot of things, you try and keep, keep your culture alive. And what makes Hawaii special is the culture. You know, you can go to Puerto Rico, Jamaica, and everything. They get their own. And some of those guys, they lost it. Because when you went there, again, hotels, and then just the poor people. So they lost their culture. And we try not, not to lose ours. We almost lost it, you know, with all these hotels in Waikiki coming up and all the fish ponds taken away. So a lot of times that's, that's sad. So what makes Hawaii different? So we keep telling people, Hawaii is different. It has spirituality. It has, you know, you cannot lose that. That's why people want to come here. You know, they can go down to uh, Guadalajara, Tijuana. They can go all kinds of places like that. But why do they want to come here? Because it's really different. Is there anything you want to say to the people on the mainland real quick? This, this interview has been very, very good. We already got half an hour. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Okay. What, what message do you want to give to the mainlanders out there? Um, when you come to Hawaii, and Hawaii welcomes everybody that comes, just be respectful of our culture. Learn something before you come here. Uh, read about our history. Read about how we were overthrown by the government. You know, the Native Americans up in, up in the U.S., they, they lost their lands. Many people of island peoples in the Caribbean, they lost their lands. And then just respect that each, each and every um, culture has value. And you honor the value of the culture, honor the people, and when you meet each other, you're gonna feel aloha when you come here. So, thank you very much. Yeah. Mahalo, mahalo nui loa. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> Have a blessed day. Okay. <laughs>
uh, here in America. There in Maui, they also have a big, big meth problem with fentanyl that's coming in from China. They have a lot of problem with that also on top of the poverty issues on Maui uh, that's been caused by gentrification and the rising prices. So with that said, uh, thank you very much, Alika. Thank you very much for you guys listening out there. And uh, until next time, this is Keeping It 100 with Jose Canelario, 103.5 FM, WNHH, New Heaven, Independent.org, powered by La Voz Radio. Harry Draws, please take it away.
Ha, 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 ha. 